Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Andreas Parlight, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. The full impact of the deadly SARS-like virus spreading across Asia will take time to assess, but it's clear there will be significant damage to the region's economies and perhaps also to the reputation of China's leaders for failing to tackle the virus early enough to prevent its spread. With me on the line to discuss this are James King in Hong Kong, Su Lin Wong in Shenzhen, and Tom Hancock, who's joining us from quarantine in northern England after being evacuated from the central Chinese city of Wuhan last week. Tom, you've just come back from Wuhan, where the disease broke out late last year. How are people reacting to the situation there? Well, when I left last Friday, the situation in Wuhan was very tense and also on the streets, very subdued. Almost everybody is staying at home as much as they can in accordance with government advice. The people are just leaving their houses to do shopping trips and everyone is wearing masks outdoors at all times and trying to learn as much as they can from media reports about the disease. So there's a great degree of anxiety. And the busiest places in the city are its hospitals. They have become a little less busy than they were when the original travel restrictions were placed on Wuhan. That caused a lot of people to panic and go to see doctors thinking that they might have symptoms of the virus, leading to huge overcrowding of hospitals. That's died down a bit, but still hospitals are very busy treating the thousands of cases that have been found in Wuhan. How well do you think the local authorities handled the initial weeks of the outbreak? I think it's clear that they were slow to warn people in Wuhan that this could be a serious virus against which measures such as staying inside, hand washing, uh, maybe not going to work, maybe travel restrictions and so on. They didn't tell people about those or say that they should be necessary until several weeks after the virus had been discovered and identified. And there's serious questions about whether or not that was too late. It does seem that they delayed their response, partly because there were important political meetings going on in the city of Wuhan, which is a provincial capital. And the local press, although it did have some reporting on the virus outbreak from early January, the reports were not given that much prominence in the local media. And so when I arrived about five days before the travel restrictions were imposed and about six days before the Lunar New Year, people in Wuhan were generally aware that there was some kind of virus outbreak. But a prevailing view was that it was under control and that there was not need for too many extreme measures. And that changed dramatically a few days later when the government imposed travel restrictions. Tell us about the situation you're in now. You're in a hospital in the Wirral in northwest England with other British evacuees, I believe. Yes, a number of countries around the world, including Japan, France, the US, Germany and the UK, have put on flights to evacuate their citizens from the city. And in most cases, there are some kind of quarantine for people who return. And it varies in the severity that is imposed in some countries, such as Japan, people who have been tested and proved negative for the virus have been allowed to self-quarantine at home. That's also been the case in the Netherlands. In other countries, such as the UK, there are much stricter measures and we are currently being held at a medical facility. We've been told that we won't be able to leave for 14 days. There are no visitors. And so conditions here are quite tough. Sulin, 
The coronavirus originated in Wuhan, but has now spread to all provinces in China. What's the atmosphere like in the country? How anxious are people? Well, I guess obviously with a country of 1.4 billion people, it's very hard to generalise. And also with the censorship and information controls in China, it's very hard to gauge what is going on across the country. But anecdotally, based off the people I'm speaking to in southern China, there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And I think that really stems from the lack of trust in the government and the lack of trust in what information is coming out. And so there's this real sense that there's been a massive cover-up and things didn't need to get as bad as they've gotten because of the way the local authorities in Wuhan reacted and even the delays that are now being revealed coming out from the centre in Beijing. I think there are a lot of people who feel they weren't being told all the information up front when they should have been in December last year, in early January. And as a result, they don't know whether they can believe what is coming out now. That having been said, the propaganda machine has really kicked into play and the state media has really ramped up the information that it's sending out about the coronavirus. And we're seeing that spread all the way from the major cities into rural villages, the People's Daily, the official mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party on its social media account recently was posting photos of rural villages and the controls that local village chiefs had put into place. Um, they put up banners with slogans like, it's better to wear a mask than a respirator, or it's better to lie at home than lie in the ICU. So they've really ramped up the propaganda. And I think people now realise how severe it is, even if they question the quality of the information coming out from the government. In early January, some people were detained and accused of spreading false information about the disease. What exactly happened? And was this an attempt to suppress news about the outbreak? Yeah, so on January 1st, the Wuhan police said that they were investigating eight people for spreading rumours. Since then, due to some really amazing reporting from local Chinese journalists, it's come to light that these eight people, and it's very likely there were far more than eight people, were actually doctors in Wuhan who, in group chats that they were in with other doctors and nurses, sent messages warning their colleagues of a new virus and warning them to make sure that they protected themselves at hospitals and in wards. And those messages were screenshotted and began circulating on Chinese social media. And that's when the Wuhan police cracked down. Obviously, now we can see in hindsight, they weren't rumours at all. And these doctors are being hailed as heroes. And so there is a lot of anger towards what the Wuhan police did in early January. Interestingly, Tyson, one of the local Chinese media outlets that's doing some of the best reporting right now on the Wuhan virus, interviewed one of the doctors who was investigated for spreading rumours. And he said to Tyson that a healthy society must have multiple voices, implying that it cannot just be that the government feeding information to its people without journalists and without other perspectives of what is actually going on on the ground. Are the doctors who are rounded up still in detention? No. Subsequently, they had to sign confessions that they had spread rumours and they wouldn't do it in the future. But, for example, Li Wenliang, who was interviewed by Tai Sin, got the Wuhan virus and I think passed it to his parents as well. And so he is now recovering from it and, according to the interview, is hoping to get back on the front line as soon as he's recovered to continue helping to save lives.
Thank you. James, you covered the SARS outbreak in 2002 to 2003. How does this particular virus differ from SARS in terms of the death rate and its ability to spread among the population? This really is like the SARS outbreak at warp speed. This coronavirus is of the same family as the SARS virus, we understand, but it's spreading through the population much more quickly. And the other key characteristic of this is that people who have the virus do not show symptoms for a fairly long period of time, we think up to about 14 days. So in other words, they can be infectious, but not displaying the symptoms, which makes it much more difficult to control the infection rates. So, so far, this outbreak has infected more people and caused more deaths than the SARS virus, even though the SARS virus began in about November 2002 and didn't really peter out until the middle of 2003. So this virus is much more virulent. We're talking about 17,200-odd infected cases as of Sunday evening, and we think that this virus really began to spread in early December. These are the figures for mainland China. So basically, in the space of two months, this has done more than the SARS virus did. In terms of deaths, the death count for this one is now 361, whereas for the SARS virus, it was 349 over the entire period that the virus was around inside China. Outside China, the toll was around 800 deaths. So that one spread abroad much more than this coronavirus has so far. And are there any differences in the way the Chinese authorities have handled the situation this time around? There are a couple of big differences. The first is that the cover-up in 2002-2003 was much more systematic. It wasn't really until April 2003, that's about six months after the SARS virus broke out, that a man called Zhang Yenyong blew the whistle on the number of cases that were being experienced across China. This time, as I said, it's happening much more quickly. We've had evidence of a cover-up in early January, and now we've had reporting on that cover-up, and we've had even officials like the Wuhan mayor talking about culpability among officials for not coming clean earlier on the number of cases that were being experienced. So, as I say, everything is happening much more quickly. Were travel restrictions on Wuhan, which is a big transport and industrial hub, and other cities imposed too late, given that many of the 100 million Chinese who cross the country every year to visit relatives had already made the trip? There is a big constituency of people who think that this was one of the big blunders committed by the Wuhan authorities. In fact, before Chinese New Year, it is said that about 5 million people from Wuhan left the city and travelled all over the country, mostly going back home for Chinese New Year. If the alarm had been raised earlier, and if the city had been put in lockdown earlier, it's possible that a large number of those people could have been prevented from travelling. Su Lin, now that the virus has spread to every province in China, millions of people are being quarantined. How effective do you think that's been? Well, as James was saying, it seems like it could have been much more effective if 5 million people didn't leave Wuhan before the lockdown. That having been said, I know that my friends at home, for example, are really 
impressed that the Chinese government has the ability to quarantine a population around the size of Canada's. So I think, obviously, on the one hand, the top-down authoritarian approach of Beijing means that it is able to execute these extraordinary types of feats. But on the other hand, there's a feeling that if there had been more accountability at a local level, there had been more voices early on able to express concerns about this virus, if there had been more local reporting, maybe there wouldn't need to have been such extreme measures like a quarantine. So in some ways we can see the Chinese political system with all its strengths and weaknesses at a time like this. And I guess whether or not the quarantine is effective is something that will be judged in the fullness of time. James, on the economic front, where is the epidemic going to hit China the hardest? Well, we've already seen some of the leading economists on China revising down their estimates for GDP growth, both for the full year 2020 and for the first quarter. The chief economist, China economist at Citi, Mr. Li Guangliu, is saying that he expects China's GDP growth in the first quarter to be 4.8%. That has to be compared with a full year GDP growth rate of 6.1% last year. So, as you can see, in the space of really about 10 days, the leading economists on China are predicting a major slowdown. That will hit all sectors, probably with the exception of those people who are ordering in their food by food delivery services. And as you can imagine, for obvious reasons, nobody wants to go outside to the shops. Those people are experiencing a major boom. But in virtually every other sector, we're seeing a big hit. The supply chain, of course, which is crucial for manufacturing around the world, given that China's the biggest manufacturing country, has already been hit hard. A lot of factories are not reopening after the Chinese New Year holiday. A lot of migrant workers who went home for the Chinese New Year are being asked not to return. This is going to have a very major effect. It's estimated that the total cost of the SARS epidemic was about 50 billion US dollars. If this goes on for a month or two, I think we're going to see a far greater impact in terms of numbers. We have to remember that the Chinese economy these days is 14 trillion US dollars in size. That's the annual GDP. That is more than 10 times larger than the size of the economy back in 2003. In some other areas, such as Hong Kong and Taiwan, we're seeing travel restrictions. Obviously, that's hitting hotel businesses, airline businesses, tourism in general. In Hong Kong, this is particularly painful because... Last year was a bad year for that type of industry because of the regular demonstrations that we saw in Hong Kong. So we don't know quite how this will spread around the world. Obviously, a lot of it depends on how long this continues. But because China is such an integrated part of the global economy, I think that we're going to see the economic chill emanating out from China over to Europe and the US very soon. Finally, Tom, Sulin and James, this is obviously a big internal shock for China and one that can't be blamed on outsiders. How badly might this tarnish the Chinese leadership? Start with Tom. I think the impact on legitimacy is definitely an interesting one. And it's clear that many people I spoke to in Wuhan were cynical about the official numbers they were getting from the government about, for example, how many people were infected. 
And there's been a lot of anger around the country at the perceived poor way that the local government handled this crisis in its early weeks. There's also another emotion which is quite strong in China, which is that there's a sense of pulling together around a national effort to try and stem the spread of this disease. And that is something which, in theory, could boost the Communist Party's standing. I think personally that a lot of how this will play out in the next few months depends on how successfully the central government can deflect some of the criticism towards local officials such as the mayor of Wuhan and to what extent the anger spills over towards the central government as well. Sulin? I think the dynamics between central government and local government in this whole story are really, really fascinating and an incredibly important part of understanding what is going on right now in terms of the fallout of the coronavirus. As Tom was saying, I think a lot of the anger is being directed deliberately at the local authorities in Wuhan and in Hubei province. And we're seeing that, for example, in Chinese media and in Chinese social media, a lot more comments are allowed to stay up and are allowed to be made about how the local authorities have messed up. What we aren't seeing is criticism of Xi Jinping and criticism of the central government, or there's far less of that. And interestingly, Chinese social media users have started speaking in code. So they refer to Xi Jinping as Trump in Chinese in order to try to evade the censors. Or they use emojis like a brown bear to talk about him and criticise him. Whether this will be the downfall of Xi Jinping is a totally different question. And considering how much control Xi Jinping has right now over the Chinese Communist Party and the propaganda organs and the military makes me highly sceptical that we're going to see the end of his rule. But I think, nevertheless, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what the backlash is against the central government and against Xi Jinping. James? I think these public health crises in China are almost uniquely difficult for the Communist Party to deal with. It's partly down to the structure of governments. But if we look back to 2002, 2003 with the SARS epidemic, we see that these crises do have political repercussions. At that time, the Minister of Health was fired and also the Mayor of Beijing. I think in this case, as Tom and Sulin have said, this has to rank as Xi Jinping's biggest crisis since he took power in 2012. All right, the demonstrations that persisted all of last year and are still continuing here in Hong Kong was a major issue. But China had the ability towards its domestic audience, in some cases, the credible ability to blame outsiders, blame Americans and other outsiders for stirring up those demonstrations. But in this case, there really is nobody else to blame. And so I think the pressure upon Xi Jinping's government is intense. One aspect of this that none of us know at the moment is how long this is going to continue. If this just lasts a few more weeks, then perhaps the fallout can be managed. But if this persists months and months, then I think this will be extremely difficult. Thanks, Tom, Sulin and James. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on what we can learn from the Dutch about holding back floods as the polar ice melts, the US Federal Reserve's communication problem, or Vladimir Putin's power shakeup, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.